do it now anymore because it was probably a little bit cruel towards the monkeys. But what they did is they took these little monkeys and uh, they, they put them with a surrogate mom, so not their actual mother. And they made these two mothers, in inverted commas, out of wire. So there were two wire monkeys. And the one, they put all the food there for the little monkeys. So they would go to the one, but that was just a wire monkey. They won't do this experiment now. Don't worry. It's an old experiment. And the other one, they just wrapped some material around this little, this little baby, uh, this little monkey. And what they found is the, the babies would go and get their food from the wire monkey, but then they would go sit and cuddle up with the one with the cloth over it. And they showed, because they can't test this in humans, it is, uh, it's just highly unethical, and there are stories that it has been tested in humans, that physical touch is integral to a baby. And if a baby does not find physical touch, they will, they will die. You can give it food, but if you don't give it love, that baby will actually die. So in the birth process, as that baby is born, if that integral part is not there, that child will have issues for the rest of their life, and you will have to work on it to sort of step back to the birth process. Same thing with nutrition. If that baby does not get milk, we've got formula nowadays, which is, which is good. It's not like breast milk, but if you don't give it the right nutrition, that baby will have defects going on for the rest of its life. Now, I want to say in a spiritual sense, the same thing actually happens to each one of us. And when you get born spiritually, when you give your life to God, like some people would have done recently, maybe some of you did it last Sunday, I don't know, or recommitted your life to the Lord, there's a certain way in which it must happen. There's a safe way, there's a right way, and if we do it in that way, we will be healthy adults. But if something goes wrong in that process and we're not aware of it, and we don't go back and try and rectify what was done wrong in our spiritual birth, that could have a knock-on effect in your Christianity going forward, and you just never know why something feels wrong. It's because you missed some crucial initial steps in your spiritual birth. And so there's this quote that says, what you get saved into is more important than what you get saved out of. All of us get saved out of exactly the same thing, sin. Looks different for all of us. Some it's alcohol, some it's smoking, some it's being a good person without God, but it's still without God. For some it's the opposite sex, or so. it's, it's different. Sin is different for each one of us, but every one of us gets saved out of sin. You get what I'm saying here? But what we get saved into is totally different for each one of us. Some of us get saved into a healthy spiritual family where the right foundations are placed in us, where the right teaching gets take, takes place, where the right discipleship takes place, and that causes you to be a healthy spiritual individual later in your life. But some of us get born spiritual orphans, get saved at some point, give your life to the Lord, but somewhere along the line, the right steps do not get put in place. So what I'd like to do this afternoon is go through, I think, four, I, I see five in this passage that we're going to go through, but I'm going to go through four of the initial steps that need to take place for a new Christian. Now, if you are sitting here today, I want to say tonight, but it's like sort of tonight, eh? I need to learn to say this afternoon. <laughs> Can I say tonight or is it this afternoon? It's like afternoon, right? If you are sitting here this afternoon and, uh, and you realize that one of these things are missing, then I want to encourage you, then take heed to what is said tonight and make sure that you rectify that part, all right? I'm going to go through four of them. Some of you would say, no, tick, 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 tick. I think all four of them are in place. That's wonderful. Then at least you know and you can walk this out with other people. That's the aim tonight, today this afternoon. 
That's though. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to go through um, the book of Acts, Acts 9, verse 1 to 20. And we're going to look at the spiritual birth of the Apostle Paul because he seemed like quite a healthy spiritual adult. And so I'm like, okay, let's look at your birth. And the thing about Paul is, he's probably the person that we know the most of in the entire Bible. We can see the most of his spiritual birth. So we get to look back on that and see what God did, because I think God did it in the correct way. Everything was put in place for him to be one of the most influential people to ever walk this earth. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Incredible man, the Apostle Paul. So I'm going to go through portions. You can open up in your Bible if you'd like. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can sit next to a Christian and then... We go on. <laughs> Otherwise, for the rest of you, we'll put it on the board, and you can just <laughs> you can just put it. You can read on the board. So let's let's start. I'm going to go through four things. I'll tell you now. I'm going to go through four things. I must do it the wrong way now, so that it's in order for you. Okay. Firstly, I'm going to say it now, and then we're going to go through it. A conversion of the heart is the first one. The second one is a revelation of the body of Christ. Third one is water baptism. And the fourth one is Holy Spirit baptism. Those are the four that I see were integral in Paul's life. There's another one we can speak about another time that I see in this passage. So let's start with the conversion of the heart. Um, Acts 9 verse 1 to 3. I've got it in the ESV, yes, all right. So it says, but Saul, Saul, Paul, same person, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, let me just pause here, the people of the way were Christians. Only later were they called Christians. Christians meaning little Christ. So it's interesting. If you call the Christian, they never called themselves Christians. Other people called them, them Christians, which I think is the right way of doing it. It's like, I can call myself a Christian however much I want to, but if, if it's not witnessed in my life that I look like Jesus, then I don't know about that. That's what happened here. So they were followers of the way, and Paul persecuted them. He wanted to kill them. He was against them. That's where we fall into the story. Men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went home, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. I'm not going to read... I'm just going to tell you the story. So here's Paul. He wants to go and apprehend Christians, take them to, to Jerusalem bound so that they can get in trouble. In fact, later or earlier in Acts 7, we see that the first, I think in Acts 7, the first deacon, Stephen, we see that Paul was there and it looks like he was one of the orchestrators of the fact that this guy was killed for his relationship for, with Jesus. So Paul was vehemently against Christianity. He was not for it. And, but he was a really learned guy. You know, some of the other uh, people who started following Jesus, Peter and those guys, they were just fishermen. They were normal people, which makes someone like me feel like I can also follow Jesus because I'm also stupid sometimes, and they were not learned. But then, amen. <laughs> That's the first amen I got during this preach when I said I'm stupid sometimes. <laughs> But then we, then we get Paul. He was different. He was, he was a, a, um, a Jew of a very high learning. He studied under, 
I think it was Hamalil. You must tell me. I'm not sure if he, he was under Hamalil. He was one of the top rabbis that he studied under. This was a clever guy. And it's interesting. Now God wants to come and he wants to give him the normal Christian birth. Because this is, I say normal because everyone should go through it like Paul went through it. The normal Christian birth. He doesn't want to make it special. This is not special. This is for each of us. And the way in which God did it is interesting. Paul has a lot of theology in his head. He knows the Bible better than any of us would ever know it in our lives. That I promise you. Knew the Old Testament, much of it off by heart, right? You could quote it. But now God comes and he does not give him an intellectual conversion. What does he give him? He gives him an experiential conversion. An experiential conversion. Paul experiences the risen Christ. You know, I'm not against the mind. Honestly, the Bible says that we are to love the Lord with all our mind, but... To come to Christ, to have a normal Christian experience, is not about the mind. It is about an experience of the heart. It can start in the mind, but it needs to lead to the heart. There needs to be a change, a transformation, an experiencing of God, a coming into contact with the living God. Last week, we promoted it it's as encounter Jesus. There needs to be an encounter Jesus moment somewhere in your life. Otherwise, the Bible actually does encourage us to... Um, to look at our salvation and ask whether it is genuine or not. And we don't want to live in that place. We don't want to be fearful if we are saved. But if we're not sure of that, have I had, I'm not saying a moment like Paul where like I'm riding on my horse because not many of us ride on horses and a light comes out of heaven. That's, I mean, that's not what I'm looking for. But I'm looking for a moment that if I had to stand before you and I had to say, I know you knew about Jesus. Let me say this because a lot of us do. A lot of us grow up in, in church, grow up knowing all the Sunday school answers. We've got all the head knowledge. But if I had to come to you and I had to ask you, okay, cool, but has there been a moment in your life where you felt the conviction of the Lord, where you felt something shift in your heart and something changed and you became a follower of God? If you cannot answer that, then I think you should re-look at your salvation and actually ask, Lord, I need that. Listen, I'd rather put some doubt in you today and make sure that you do get saved then try and wax eloquent about God's love never failing you which it does not but we need to step into God's love first there needs to be a moment it's not the same for each of us there doesn't have to be a day like some of us have a date the 2nd of March 2007 is the day when I gave my life to Jesus I'll never forget it some of you grew up in a Christian home and you might not remember that moment but then I want to ask, but later in your life, have there been other moments of conviction, of the Holy Spirit, of a sense of Him coming here close to you, changing you, transforming you like the, I'm in the presence of God. It's experiential. You need that. It doesn't have to be a day, but somewhere along the line, you need to answer, I've had that. Otherwise, you are doing behavior modification. You're coming to church, you're learning the Josh Chen ways, but that's not what this is about. It's about coming into a true relationship with Him. The best way that I can explain this, I, I try to think of another analogy. I can't. I couldn't. But it's the difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. That's the difference. And I looked at the life of, I went to do a bit of research, the life of Nelson Mandela. Everyone knows about him. Amen. You don't have to say amen. <laughs> all, of us, all of us know about him. 
but few people actually knew him. And also, just having a meeting with him also does not mean that you knew him. It means that you were acquainted with him. Where I think some of us are acquainted with Jesus. Some of us know of him. Some of us are acquainted with him. We've had a few meetings. And some of us truly know him. When you know someone, and that's a special someone, they tend to change you. Listen to this. This is, amen. <laughs> Zelda Lechransi, she was um, his PA for, I think, 26, 27 years. And this is a small quote from her. I thought it was quite, uh, quite telling. She said, the learning from Mandela becomes part of one's nature. It's the difference. I can learn about someone. I can read the books. I can learn. I can try and adapt my life. But when there's someone really special in my life and I get to know them, I experience them, they, can, they tend to even change my nature. They ch- tend to change who I am. How much more with God? You can know about Him. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Because He wants to know you. I want to give you an opportunity at the end of this, this message to come to know Him if you don't know Him because he, he wants to know you. He died on a cross not for you to go to church, not for you to sing hallelujah and have a good time in worship, not for that, to know Him. He wants you to come into an experiential knowledge of Him. Jonathan Edwards said this, preaching has no effect because it causes no effect. And to that I many times say amen. It feels like when you start preaching, you think you can change the world, and then you preach and you realize how little power there is in preaching, unless by the Holy Spirit touching people's hearts. It says, I am bold to assert that there was never any considerable change wrought in the mind or conversion of any person by anything of a religious nature that he ever read, heard, or saw who had not had his affections moved. When he says that, he's speaking about your emotions. I'm not for emotionalism. We stand on the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. We don't base it on emotions, but there needs to be an emotional connection with the Lord as well. Am I making sense here? Okay, we'll get back to this because I do want to give an opportunity at the end if there's anyone that has not had that or that's not sure. Secondly, I'm not going to linger on this one too long because we're doing a a series called This is Church. So we're speaking about church a lot. There, I'll probably get an amen, but we're speaking about church a lot. But the second thing that God did in Paul is he gave him a revelation, not of only the vertical relationship with God, but also the horizontal relationship with the people of God. He gave him an understanding of the church and the value and the beauty of church, right? This that you see here, this is a God thing. I mean, we're trying our best. There's a lot of growth that still needs to take place. If you had to prick me and ask, what do I see for this coming together? There's a lot more that we as elders see. Seeing a biblical, healthy church, like I I think we're just starting to enter into what God really has for us as a group. But this thing, when it functions well, when it's done according to God's way, it it is the most beautiful thing besides Jesus, His body. And Paul needed to understand that from the get-go, and it's beautiful how God teaches him this. Uh, Acts 9, verse 4 to 5. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, so anyway, so he's on the horse, he falls down, this light is shining on him. Now Jesus speaks to him. These would be in red letters if you read it. Why are you persecuting? I'm going to try that again. You guys are very quiet today. Okay. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Me. Me. Who was he persecuting? Yeah, you're confused there, eh? Some of you say Jesus. Some of you say the church. Technically, he was not persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church of Jesus. 
persecuting the people of God. But then Jesus comes to him and he doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus and his church, they are one. And to be in a relationship with God means you have to be in a relationship with his people. If you are not, you are not the Christian you should be. It's like being born but having no physical touch. Something's going to come out wonky. (laughs) You can be a Christian, but it's not going to be the way that God intended it to be. We actually do need others around us, and so we do need the church. And and Jesus wanted to put that in Paul from the get-go. Listen, if it, I've said this many times. If it was not for the church, I would not be standing here. And some of you say, no, man, it's Jesus that's kept you. Yeah, Jesus has kept me through his church. I would not be the person I am today. I would not walk in the calling that I have today. I would not maybe even serve Jesus anymore like I am today if it was not for his church. It's not only the vertical, it's the horizontal. And if you don't get that, you are going to stagnate in your growth with God. And that does not mean just coming to a Sunday, now and then going to a Wednesday. It's plugging in. It's giving yourself, being part of the people of God, sharing your life, being vulnerable. That's what it means to truly be part of the church. That's the thing he taught him. He carries on teaching him this in uh, verse 10 to 12. He does it in a very special way. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. This is someone already following the Lord. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, it's another Judas, not that one. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias. Come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So what happens here is Paul gets saved. God makes him blind. Let's just let that settle in. God makes Paul blind. Like we say, no, God never gives sickness. Like God made him blind. God made it difficult for Paul. And God said to him, the only way for you to get breakthrough from your blindness is by the hands of another. I give you a disability, Paul. I'm putting something in you that seems ungodly. I'm putting it there so that you can learn to rely on someone else. This is not going to be by your doing. If that man doesn't pray for you, you stay blind. That's the church, my friends. Some of us want to do this Christianity thing like, I can do it. I can pray. I can fast. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and we get a tattoo, right? We like that, but actually... God is saying some of the things that you are struggling to get breakthrough in, maybe God is withholding his hand because he's saying, yes, you know me, but do you know my people? Maybe your breakthrough will only be by the hands of my people. It's a, it's a scary and a, a daunting thing, but I remember having to go through a form of church discipline a couple of years ago, and I said to Andrew Selly, he came to me and he said, It was an aha moment. It's one of those moments that comes out of your mouth and you're like, wow, that was profound. I should preach about this. And now look at me. I'm like, I I didn't think it then. But Andrew asked me, Leonard, this area of sin in your life, can you get free from it? If I had to say to you now, stop, can you? And I said to him, I think I can, but not alone. That was an aha moment for me. That was the aha moment for Paul. Okay. Can I move on? 
third thing, water baptism. So we've gone through an experiential knowledge of God, right? We're looking at a revelation of the church. Thirdly, water baptism. Acts 9 verse 18. Now Paul gets saved. He gets prayed for. The scales are going to fall off his eyes now. Uh, and then you'll see. He, uh, Ananias would pray for him. And then in verse 19 it says, And immediately after Ananias prayed for him, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And look at this. Then he rose, and he was baptized. This was not a debate. He was not saying, I need to repent a bit more. I need to learn a bit more. I need to be a bit of a better person and pay my dues, pay my penance for the sin that I've committed. None of that. He rose, and he was baptized. And I, I want to encourage you, if you've come into a relationship with God, we can argue about this until we are blue in the face. I sat with a guy this week, not arguing with him. I tried to do it very softly, but speaking to him about baptism. He believes in infant baptism, which in South Africa is mainly the place where we, where we get stuck a little bit. Lovely guy, loves the Lord. But I just, at one stage, I get so convicted about this thing. I'm like, just forget everyone's opinion. Just open up the Bible or type into Google baptism scriptures. Go read just that. Forget all opinions. And what you're going to come down to is give your life to Jesus and get baptized. It's so simple, but we tend to make it so complicated. It's not get baptized and give your life to Jesus. It's give your life to Jesus and then get baptized. You'll see it in the Bible. It does not take a scholar. I think the traditions of man have made it more difficult than it should be. And then we get stuck in this thing, but, but the one church says this, and you guys and Josh Jen say this, and so how do I know to trust so I'm just not going to get baptized? Nonsense, man. <laughs> Forget about what Josh, Josh Jen says. Who cares what we say? What does the Bible say? And then do it. Then do it. I'm telling you, there's something spiritual that happens in us when we get baptized. That cannot be explained. But it's a crucial step in your spiritual birth that needs to take place. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't done that, that you would do it. The 1st of March, we're going to baptize. If it's burning in you and you want to do it earlier, we'll... <laughs> huh? What did I say? Yes, guys, this year. <laughs> this year has been hectic. <laughs> this year has been difficult. <laughs> First of October. <laughs> we'll probably baptize first of March next year again. Maybe it was prophetic, but first of October, <laughs> we'll baptize, okay? <laughs> so if you haven't been baptized, take the step of obedience in God and do it. Paul did it. And God honored his obedience. Baptism is about obedience. That's what it's about. It's about God asking and you doing. And the first thing that he asks you is, okay, now you've given your life to me. Now Go dunk yourself in water, come up as a sign. And you're like, God, but it doesn't make sense. And God says, yeah, sure, just do it. Because if you can't do that, how can I ask you to do anything else? Do something simple like that, like go take a swim, basically. <laughs> it's more than that. But like, if we can't do that, how can God entrust us with more? Take that step. Take that step if you haven't. You can send a message, we'll put you on the list, we'll baptize on the 1st of October. If you want to do it before and we'll find a pool somewhere, we'll do it. But it'll be great if we do it together. Finally, Holy Spirit baptism. And then I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I'd love us to pray for people tonight. It says in, um, in Acts 9 verse 17, 
So Ananias departed and entered the house. It's actually interesting. Sorry, this is actually before the previous verse that we read. So this Holy Spirit baptism took place before water baptism. The the order is not as important, but this is what happens. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road by which you came and has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I remember, I'm going to end with this. Um, I remember becoming a, a Christian and the guy who led me to the Lord, he spoke about this thing called Holy, Holy Spirit baptism. And he told me, if you saved, if you've given your life to Jesus, then also we see in the Bible that people also lay their hands on you and ask that the Holy Spirit would come upon you. And he explained it like this. He said, the Holy Spirit is already in you. When you give your life to him, he resides in you. He does. But then there's a difference between him being in you and him being upon you. And in Acts 1 verse 18, if I'm not mistaken, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we see all of these accounts of people who already gave their lives to God, but then they come to a place where someone lays hands on them and asks, Holy Spirit, would you come upon this person? Would you come and move in power? And always what we see is the power that comes there is to be a witness to other people. Acts, Acts 1 verse 18. Uh, what does it, where does it start now? I'm going to recite it now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's the order of that verse. And so Holy Spirit baptism is not for a goosebump. It's not for that. It, sometimes it does come with a goosebump. Sometimes it does come with people falling over or starting to pray in tongues. There's a manifestation of the Spirit that comes, and we actually trust for that. That's a good thing. But what it is about, it's, it's so that God will empower you to be a witness to others. It's actually not for you. It's so that there can be a fire in you for the gospel, for others. And so we also need to have this fourth step in place. When I come to the Lord, have you been prayed for? Have people laid their hands upon you? Have you had a tangible experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon you? Are you walking in something of faith towards seeing His kingdom come to others? Are you walking in the gifts of the Holy Spirit even? We want to pray for you for that. Does it mean you have to pray in tongues? People debate this. I don't believe it's true. But Paul said, I desire that all of you speak in tongues. So it's okay to desire it. To even say, Lord, I want to even speak in tongues. I want to move in the gifts of the Spirit. Okay. So worship team, if you can come forward. If the rest of you can stand, please. All right. So I'd love us to respond. This is great. We've got an opportunity to, um, to respond to today and to make right with God and to make sure that if one of those four steps are not in place, that we would actually rectify that. So maybe just as an experiment for myself, maybe Mac as well, and Mac and Nordine can open their eyes if you want. But the rest of us, let's all close our eyes for a moment. It's not an official call. I just want to actually know who the crowd is. So I'm going to go through those four things, and I'd love you to just raise your hand for a moment if you think, ah, maybe I missed that step. Maybe that step is not in place in me. I'm going to quickly name them, and then I'll go through them one by one. The first one is an experiential knowledge of God. 
experiential. You can, don't have to raise your hand now. I'm, I'll ask you now. Like coming to know Him like that, giving your life to Him and, and being impacted on the, on, in your heart and not just in your mind. That's the first one. The second one is a revelation of the church, knowing the importance, having a deep conviction of the importance of the people of God. The third one is water baptism, and the fourth one is Holy Spirit baptism. So let's just all close our eyes. No one's looking around now. Can I ask you if that's you, if the first one is you, an experiential knowledge of God, if you can just raise your hand, I just want to see who you are. There's a couple, I can't, just nice and eye so I can see. Okay. I'm going to speak to this group again now. I'll speak to you again. You can put down your hand. Second one, a revelation of the church. Anyone like that? Feels like you need a deeper conviction. Thank you. There's a couple of people. Okay, cool. That's good. All right. Third one, water baptism. You haven't been baptized in water. All right. Probably about three, three of you, four of you. Come on. I want to encourage you to do it. All right. And then fourthly, Holy Spirit baptism. Anyone like that? Feels like that might be missing. Okay, I want to challenge you, those people with the fourth one. If, if you've got a desire for people to pray with you, can I ask you to come to the front now, please? Because I know this might be a little bit scary. <laughs> but that you would come now. We're going to pray tonight. So great, we don't have pews. We've got space. <laughs> we can pray for people. Just come stand here. Isn't that, this is great. Yeah. Love to pray. Oh, you're making a big idol. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> you can sort of spread out so people can come pray for you. <laughs> right. So what is it about the laying on of hands? I, I don't know, but God says we must do it and we must come with faith and pray. And when we pray, we ask the Lord in faith. We say, Holy Spirit, come upon this person. That's what we ask for, right? And we just give it time. It's not you. It's not your power. It's not, it's not by your eloquent prayers. It's just by us simply coming in faith and asking the Lord, please, Lord, come and touch these individuals standing here. So we're going to pray for you in just a moment. Let's just close our eyes again. I want to call more people forward, maybe just to, to my side. I know there were a couple of you that put your hand up for that first one. And uh, man, I, this is one that I don't want to just ask you to come forward if you don't have faith, if you don't want to cry out to God. But I'm telling you tonight, Jesus is here and He wants to save your life. He wants to show you that when He died on the cross, it was for you. He thought of you. He bled for you. He died for you so that you could come to know Him experientially even tonight, that it would not just be aid knowledge. It won't be the Sunday school answers, but that you would know like you know like you know that you've given your life to Him. So can I ask you if that's you, that first crowd, or if you even didn't put up your hand, can you just come here to my left-hand side, please? I want to challenge you. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Just stand here so we can pray. Wonderful. Oh, this is beautiful, guys. This is beautiful. So what I want to ask is, for the rest of us, the worship team is going to play, but I'd love us, as the people of God, to come and lay hands on these people. Amen? So come, find the faith. Find the faith that God would move. We can even, I think what we should do is even get the kids' church here and them come pray with us. Because the prayer of children, eh? Yo, God loves it. 
So just come around here um, and let's pray. Mac, if you'll also come pray, please.